So, could you give me an introduction for yourself, please? Um, no introduction. Um, yeah. My, my Chinese name is Wu uh, Tang, and my English name is Chen Wu. Uh, um, I'm currently studying, uh, studying uh, Brighton, uh, a girls' school, and. Um, uh, and uh, it's the last year uh, of my uh, of my GCSE study. Uh, and um, uh, um, uh, also it's the first year uh, that I study abroad. So. All right. Well, let me ask you a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Um, it's, it's been your first year outside of China, and it's been a, a an unusual year, of course, because of the pandemic. And and while you were staying there in Brighton at the boarding school, it's my understanding that you you also tested positive for COVID, right? Yeah. Okay. And then you had to quarantine in your room for how long? Um. Uh, almost two weeks. Wow, and were were they accommodating, or they just kind of ignore you? <laughs> um, uh, I think uh, they just uh, they uh, they asked me uh, if I need uh, medicine, but I had my own medicine, so right. um, they just they just uh, give me my uh, breakfast, mm -hmm. lunch, and supper every day. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. and, and how did they make sure that you stayed in your room? Mm. Was it on the honor system? They just trusted you? Yeah, okay. they just trusted me. Yeah, interesting. Um, what do you think about the, the reports coming out of Shanghai about people that were locked in their houses and stuff on purpose and it seemed pretty extreme there's been um sort of two different points of of news or media that we're getting and, and most of it's through social media and one side is you know just how bad and extreme it is that the citizens are being locked up and you know all these extreme measures and then the other side, of course, is that that's an exaggeration. It's only happened in a few places. And so we don't know really what the real story is. What do you think? Um, I think um, the situation now in Shanghai is really um, serious. So, um, so you're getting the same news that, that we're getting, is that correct? Yeah. Okay. And also, uh, when I when I went to book a book a ticket, but uh, me to uh, go back to China, and I realized uh, uh, it's it's even better to stay in the UK rather than uh, go back to Shanghai. Yeah, that's true. You're ac you're actually. Uh, from Shanghai or nearby, is that right? Um, no, I think I, uh, I think I, I can only go, 
Okay, well, I'll only go back to uh, Shadow right now because um, I can't, I can't, I can't uh, go back to Hong Kong because um, because um, well, no, because uh, because some um, rules that uh, I'm not living in uh, Hong Kong. Oh, I'm I see. I see because yeah. your ID to your Hoku. Yeah, I think that's something that, that a lot of foreigners don't understand um, about how controlled things are based on your ID or your residence ID. And sometimes, you know, we'll have students that have to go back to their, their hometown province to take Cow Cow or whatever it may be, because that's where their ID is from, even though they never studied there before. And so it's an unusual situation. Okay, so... <clears throat> The other thing I wanted to ask you concerning studying in, in, in Brighton and being in Brighton, and obviously you're going to have to stay on because of the situation with the pandemic, um, how do you feel about that? Do you, do you think that you'll be able to, to stay on in, in the UK after the situation? Um, I think that I'll be going to summer holiday. Yeah, well, you just said it would be easier for you to stay in the UK and then to, and to go back. Yeah. Um, the, the air prices, last time I looked at an air ticket was like $6,000 from the US. So from the UK, it's yeah. probably even more, um, which is, geez, it's about five times the price, you know, that normally uh, for us. And so the other, the other issue, of course, is the restrictions for foreigners. Um, it's still pretty difficult for, for a visa uh, for someone like myself. So I don't think I'll be able to go anytime soon. I think I'm in the similar situation as you are, which is just have to stay put um, and try to figure it out as it goes along. But if if you finish school, what, what do you think will happen? You have to go to another school? Yeah, uh, I want to uh, go to Cardiff. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, why did you, I mean, they have a good reputation, but for you, why did you choose Cardiff? Because Cardiff, uh, uh, Cardiff has a strong level of results every year, uh -huh. and then also, um, uh, also this this building house is better than building. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know it's better? Did you talk to somebody there? Yeah, uh, I, I actually I have a friend who is now studying. Oh, okay. Okay, well, good. Um, I, I think when it comes for Chinese students, I mean, they don't really expect a lot in the housing situation, is my experience. Even when we had homestay students, um, we kind of went uh, overboard in, in setting them up and treating them out, and it wasn't necessary. I mean, it was just sort of the basics for the most part. Uh, the main thing, of course, is the internet <laughs> and fast internet. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe something to uh, <clears throat> a hot water. Uh, make sure you have a hot water pitcher or a hot water heater of some kind. Um, you know, the Chinese superfood, drinking hot water for everything. Or warm water, I should say. So, well, that's good. At least you have a connection to somebody in Cardiff and you have an interest there. And so that, that should make it easier. Will you continue to study or will you go on to your... To your major studies. Um, my major uh, that I want to study in the university uh, is economics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you're still going to focus yeah, on that job? Okay. Yeah. Or anything dealing with finance. Yeah, typical. Finance. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's kind of what the what your I think your mother is pushing on that aspect of it anyway. So it wants to keep you in the business. All right. Let, let's go into uh, some of the other questions here that they're kind of off the wall. <clears throat> get your opinion. See if we can shake you up and wake you up and, and get some sort of unusual ideas from you. Um, let's let's move on to something that that I think is always kind of funny that comes up on the exam, and it's talking about aliens. And so the question is: Do you believe if there's life in the universe? Yeah. Um, sure. Um, I believe there's uh, there's not only uh, human animals in the universe because uh, there are many there are many spaces that uh, that we uh, can discover mm -hmm. now uh, in the universe. So um, I believe there is there is a there is a the the alive that living into in in a part of the universe mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Would you say that you think that's intelligent life or just some kind of life, like an, an amoeba or something like that? Or does it actually, um, intelligent life means that it, it's sentient. It can think about, you know, what it, what it is, what it's doing, that kind of stuff. I think uh, this intelligent life mm -hmm. because, um, because I think um, if... Um, uh, we can we can find them if they're not intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I, I suppose the biggest argument, of course, is the <clears throat> the distance in space. And so, yes, there's mm -hmm. there's some places that we have not been able to discover through um, the different types of uh, star scanning that we do, whether it's uh, electronic. Uh, radioscope, laser, um, a couple other different things that they do to, to map the, the solar system or the universe. Um, there's some places, yeah, that are so far away that we, we don't have enough information to determine um, if it's possible you know, to support life in those systems. We have other systems that we've mapped that said, yeah, it could be possible, but we just don't really have any, any concrete proof in this sense. Now, something like an alien in this case... Um, I always try to explain to people that when you are living and working or studying overseas, in some ways you are kind of like an alien, if it's not your, your country, your culture, or your language. And so everything takes on um, kind of an unusual uh, reaction or response from ourselves. Now, I would, I would also say that as a foreigner, Weigarin in China, it's probably even more alien-like because it's, it's more extreme. Whereas I think for you coming into the United Kingdom, yeah, I mean, it, it, it doesn't seem to be that different aside from being surrounded by uh, people that are not so much Chinese. Um, how many Chinese are with you um, at Brighton? Do you have other um, Chinese friends? Yeah, um, I think, uh, I think there are lots of, uh, there are lots of, uh, students from China mm -hmm. in, in the whole UK, mm -hmm. um, especially 
especially the cities from uh, Hong Kong. Mm, yeah, of course, because it's uh, there's kind of a track record there already. And the assimilation is, is pretty easy. Did you ever feel like an alien while you were there? Um, uh, no. Okay. Well, well, not all the uh, aspects, but some, uh, some, some uh, aspects uh, make me feel like I'm a alien because I uh, like food. Um, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why they they like they like uh, they like eating uh, fish and chips, but <laughs> it's probably because it's cheap, uh, and it's you know some kind of like you know it's like American in, in fast food and hamburgers I think so there it's probably fish and chips, especially in that 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 area where you're at because you know it's by the by the ocean, so they tend to have a lot of chippies mm. chippies as they say yeah for sure. Uh, in your imagination, well, since you felt like an alien once or twice, but um, what do you think aliens might look like if that's the case? Do you think they look like us or something else? Mm, uh, in my imagination, hmm. I think alien is uh, it's a bit uh, different uh, from us. Uh, maybe they have a, a larger head <laughs> and, <laughs> and two bigger eyes, mm -hmm. smaller, smaller mouth. <laughs> so you're, you're thinking kind of like the, the classic you know, picture that we think of, right? The, the, the great yeah. alien, right? The sort of oval head with the with the big eyes, uh, maybe something like a mouth, maybe no nose or just, yeah, that's the... They call that the gray alien. Um, people have theorized that there's like the 12 alien races that are involved in the earth or on the planet and declassified documents from the Central Intelligence Agency in my country indicates that, that there is something to that. The problem is we don't ever really know if if the information that we're getting is, is correct or not. I mean, sometimes it's done on purpose in order to uh, distract people sometimes of, of issues or ideas or whatnot. So in that case, do you think aliens have been to the Earth? Oh, sorry, could you repeat Sure. Do, do you think that we, as a planet, as Earth, uh, has been visited by aliens? Yeah, I, I think so, mm -hmm. because, uh-huh. And there was whole uh, stories and also news. Mm. Uh, yeah, uh, before and um, also lots of lots of people said uh, they mm, they they have they have, they, they, they have seen the uh, aliens. Mm -hmm. So uh, and also um, also. Uh, lots of countries, like uh, especially, especially America, mm -hmm. uh, took lots of photos of mm -hmm. uh, UFO. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, they visited uh, the Earth already. Mm -hmm. Well, essentially, when you mention UFO, which in Chinese I think we call it Fan Di. The, the flying disc, right? 
Um, but UFO for us is un unidentified flying object. And so that means that it, it, it could be an object that we don't know exactly if it's a, an airplane, uh, a ship, um, whether or not it's, it's human or alien, we just, we're unable to identify it. That's why some people think that because of the vast differences in space, the only way that you could traverse the space like that is through some sort of um, wormhole technology or you know, folding space and time, which they say is possible. And taking a wormhole or some sort of portal from one place to another. Um, and, and if that was the case, then, then whatever you're flying in would probably look very unusual to us anyway. The thing that we noticed in China was that if scientists uh, talked about fondi or UFOs, um, it could be mainstream news and not so much a problem. Whereas in my country, if you are a, <clears throat> a scientist with no, some sort of notoriety or reputation, if you talk about UFOs and aliens, people will think you're crazy and you'll ruin your career. So there's still a bit of a stigma about the idea. Uh, in England, they also seem to be a little bit more open to the idea. Um, obviously, you have some, some pretty um, extreme people in England like David Icke, who you know, is always pushing that the, the aliens have, have already taken over, that people are reptiles and all this kind of strange stuff. Some of it's very extreme in its views. And I'm not necessarily sure if that's more of a social prob problem or a psychological problem or a combination of both. It also could be uh, in relationship to uh, social media now and the fact that, you know, anybody can say just about anything and you can have access to that. Do you like to watch uh, UFO or alien movies or TV shows? Mm -hmm. That sounds like a no. <laughs> if you ever think about it that much, it's probably no. Um, because if you're a fan, then you'd say, "Oh yeah, I like to watch that." You know, it's it's your energy will will indicate the level of your uh, communication based on your enthusiasm. Uh, have you ever seen a movie with aliens? Mm. Um, I've seen a movie with aliens. No, because I I don't like this kind of mm. because I think. Uh, this kind of show is like uh, science fiction, science fiction, yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't, I don't really like this kind of. Mm. Thing. I, I, I like. Uh, I. Mm, You're more. I like watching. Yeah, I like watching uh, some. Uh, I, I like watching some documentary mm. uh, rather than. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah that's, that's something that I noticed uh, in China was there wasn't a lot of Chinese science fiction, not until recently. Mm -hmm. um, and then we had a couple of movies like The Wandering Earth and uh, another one I thought that was done. can't remember the name in English. Um, yeah, it's, it's sort of relatively newer of a, of a genre or a phenomenon in China, I think, uh, adapting to science fiction um, because it does require a little bit of, of critical thinking to look at different sort of trends or things that are happening either now or in the past and then making a an extension um, in the fiction realm but also adding the, the science fiction the technology aspect to it as well um, and so something like the wandering earth was sort of a really large statement um, for for China because it was such a 
such an expensive movie to make, and it was actually, you know, it was fairly acceptable. Uh, some Chinese movies don't don't do very well in the international market because of not just because of the language barrier, but also some of the, the cultural aspects um, in the conversation and, and jokes and stories and stuff are are lost on foreigners because of the context. You know, like there's things that that happen that we don't have an explanation for, but that's just because that's how they happen in Chinese society. No different than watching American movies and thinking, what are they doing? Why are they doing that? But with no explanation, because that's just something that they do. Um, and it's understood by other people. Yeah. Um, if, if, if aliens made themselves known to the world, um, and said, "Hey, we want to we want to make some changes, or we want to help you." What what do you think they would try to to help us with? Um, um maybe they will help us uh, about our uh, about our science mm -hmm. um, because. Uh, because if they, uh, if they can, like, if they can let uh, the earth uh, know know them, uh, I I think they may be smarter than human. Mm -hmm. uh, we always make that assumption, yeah, because of the fact that if they can, if they can traverse the 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 universe, or whether they do it directly, indirectly, or interdimensionally. We assume that they are, are somewhat more advanced than we are, um, and so that means that, that either they've been around longer or they've managed to somehow jump forward uh, faster than we can as a species or a race. Uh, when I was asking about intelligent life earlier in the universe, I meant to, of course, make the joke that, well, that's pretty interesting. Can we find any intelligent life on Earth, aside from, you know, you and myself and, and people listening um, <laughs> in this case? Uh, you know, I, I look around sometimes and I just wonder, you know, why is it we have not been able to sort of advance in some of our technologies and so forth? We've been kind of kind of somewhat stagnant in some ways within my lifetime when it comes to these kind of issues. But I think that's perspective. If I look at other developments in technology in my lifetime and also think about disruptive technologies, uh, are you familiar with that term, disruptive technologies? Disruptive. Uh, I, I think I've seen this word, but I forgot this. Yeah, thing. essentially, this is this is when a technology comes into being, and it's it's so much of a change to the to the normal system that it disrupts the the things that are going on, and so not so much interrupt where it stops. I mean, it literally you know changes the whole direction of something. And so if we think about, you know, some of the, the technologies that we have that we sort of take for granted or reuse, I mean, just like having a, a smartphone is a, is a type of disruptive technology in the sense that once it became uh, cheap enough to produce for the masses and became very popular and then everybody had one and then so it sort of changes the way that we um, communicate and use the, the concept of the phone. It's pretty rare that anybody has a, a landline uh, in my country. And I think in China, too, to a certain extent, it's pretty rare to have a landline at this point. I mean, everybody's uh, phone is, is mobile. Uh, that would be sort of an example 
not a very good example, but an example of a disruptive technology where it sort of changes everything about that process once it becomes uh, popular. Other disruptive technologies, we're always looking for those uh, when we think about investment opportunities, uh, for thinking about something that's going to happen in the future and, and say, all right, well, we want to invest in this technology because we think it might be disruptive. It's going to change sort of the whole game for everybody that's uh, involved in this case. Um, in China itself, I think for innovation when it comes to disruptive technologies, it probably is only happening maybe in the application area for developing apps. As far as I can tell, most of the, the technology that we have is sort of universal. It's the same things that we have in other countries and so forth when it comes to telecommunications, um, medicine, and so on. And so there's, it's definitely sort of homogenized in that case. It's pretty rare that we see uh, disruptive technology come into being um, and can change everything just overnight. But it can happen, I suppose. Um, when it comes to uh, this concept, I guess, of, of aliens sort of making changes to what we're doing and so forth, what about for you? I mean, and we're sort of joking that, you know, being a, a foreigner overseas is kind of like being an alien. When you eventually return to China, what do you think that will be like for you? Oh, sorry, you mean... Uh, you mean when I, when, I, when I get back to China? Yeah, eventually, like, you know, maybe five years, ten years, I don't know when. And so, do you think that, do you think that you have changed being away? Um, I think, uh, absolutely, I will, uh, changing some, uh, in some, mm -hmm. Uh, aspect, but aspects, but not, but not, but not, but not all. Maybe, maybe I'll get used, I'll get used to the, uh, the weather here. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, always, always rainy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny that it's a it's a it's a, a, a an ocean or beach getaway town, but it, the weather's always terrible. I mean, that's very English, very English for sure. Yeah. So, but I don't I don't think I will uh, I will, I will change much because mm -hmm. because uh, before I before I. Um, Went to or before I came here, mm -hmm. I I already lived in uh, China for more than um, sixteen years. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I would say that there's going to be some probably bigger differences than you realize based on the experience of my other students. And sometimes the longer they stay away, um, the more difficult it is to return. And it's very similar to my situation because being gone for so long. And you come back and then you sort of experience reverse culture shock. The only thing that was different this time was um, it was extended because of the, the pandemic in the sense that, you know, we returned, I think, summer 2020 because we stayed in Thailand for the first six months um, trying to decide. And then um, we came home. And then, of course, we couldn't really go anywhere, right? It was like basically being mm. being quarantined for a year. And then after that, it was still kind of 
odd until they sort of open things up. And it's still it's still pretty precarious. I mean, I still see see people getting sick and people still wearing masks, and I think it's just we just have to live with it at this point, unfortunately. And so that reverse culture shock, I think when you come back, it, you know, you, you won't ever be completely English and you can't ever be sort of completely Chinese at this point because you've kind of experienced uh, both cultures, both languages, um, both countries. And so you'll always be a little bit sort of in between in some ways. And the biggest complaint I get from, from returning students, which I think in Chinese, uh, I think they call them sea turtles. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, all the insults are usually about eggs or turtles or something like that. And so, um, you know, the fact that they went out on the ocean, now they come back to lay the eggs, I guess, is why they're a sea turtle. And so students that are a sea turtle in this category uh, sometimes get really frustrated with the situation because they they sort of have experienced maybe a different way of life than where some things were easier, even though the language was an issue or the culture was an issue. But now, when they return, they, they notice the difference of why things are sort of chabadoa, you know, just not great. They're sort of almost okay. And so that causes uh, some difficulty for them in their integration. So for you, it's it's nothing that you're anticipating, but I, I will venture a guess if we fast forward this conversation that you'll say, yep, there was a big difference when I went back home. <laughs> and, and how you deal with that, I don't know, pretty much. Um, let's see, I don't have to ask you about that one because I don't think there's much there. Um, let's finish up going into the idea of, of uh, what happens when we dream. And so let's talk about dreaming as the topic here. And so the confusion I think sometimes in the translation is, is the general idea of like, what's your dream? You know, well, I want to be a, a basketball player. I want to be a, a you know, famous uh, doyen streamer, right? That, that's like the, the, the dream while we're awake, your goal. In this discussion, we're actually talking about the actual aspect of dreaming, like when you are asleep, okay? And the challenge is a lot of young people don't seem to have a lot of experience in this because they don't, they don't think about keeping it as an idea for conversation uh, as a topic. So how often do you dream um, um, I'm not sure because uh, I I think I only dream when I'm when I'm really tired mm -hmm. or uh, yeah or um, or under pressure. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Um, because if, if we think that the, the dreaming imagery or the dreaming sort of feeling comes out of our subconscious, if we're extremely exhausted or really tired or stressed or even even sick, you maybe you had a lot of dreams during your quarantine, um, it does seem to be much more active for some reason. And I, and I think that might be the feeling between your conscious and your subconscious of, of whatever the situation may be you're trying to uh, find a remedy or resolve it or try to understand it. And I think sometimes the subconscious tries to provide some kind of, of reference or reprogramming at night to help you to, to deal with it. And again, as I said, most young people, when they have this question, they, they don't really respond to it easily. 
because they don't really think about it. And so the only time that, that people are, are more prepared for this is if they've done a little bit of what we call dream journaling. And that means that you write down a few things in the morning as soon as you wake up in order to sort of uh, build the skill of remembering what your dream was. Uh, the counter argument, of course, from people like you know Arnold Schwarzenegger and some other very successful people, they said that it doesn't matter. Your subconscious doesn't matter. You know, if you're going to be successful, you're only worried about your sort of conscious being. That to me feels very similar to the for for most Chinese um, that I've talked to about that aspect. They're like, yeah, you know, dreams are nothing sort of special in this case. Um, just your brain sort of you know doing something at night. Whereas other people put a lot more meaning into it. Um, do you think you dream in color or black and white? Uh, I think dream. Uh, only everyone is different, uh, but but uh, for me, I think dream is uh, it's just like the real, the sure. real. Uh, it's like the real world yeah. is colored. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Uh, I've heard from, from people in the past and, and read some psychologists said that, that the brain is supposed to dream in black and white. But I said, okay, fine. But if, if I think of it's in color, then it becomes color. I can, I can make it colored in my interpretation. They're like, well, yeah, you probably could. I said, okay, then, then I'm dreaming in color. It doesn't matter that the, the original image, whatever else in the brain scan, is, is a black and white image. If, if our mind sort of fills in the pieces, then it happens. We do that in reality. We do that when we're awake. We know that eyewitness testimony is the weakest part of any sort of uh, court case, a criminal case, or civil case, because you know two people can look at the same thing and see it differently, uh, even when they're awake. And so considering like how people dream, I think your answer is correct. It is different for everybody. And I think only through the process of, of documentation and exploration could, could someone sort of um, improve on their performance in this area. Um, have you ever had a flying dream? Um, yes, uh -huh. I, uh, I've had lots of uh, dreams uh, about flying. Really? How do you feel about that when you're flying yeah. in a dream? Uh, actually, I'm, I'm, I, I was a little bit uh, afraid because uh, was, uh, uh, it was um, it's too uh, it was too high and um, uh, I'm afraid I will fall. Mm -hmm. I, I will fall. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think most people probably have that a similar experience, and then uh, if they start falling in the dream, uh, usually what happens? Uh, have you ever fallen in a dream? Uh, yeah, I remember uh, once I I had a fight with others uh, in my dream. Mm. And, yeah, and uh, he, uh, she shot me down. Oh, she shot, shot you down. Ooh, jeez. I, I, I thought the Chinese students all go to the United Kingdom because they think it's safer instead of America. Um, that's terrible. Well, that's a hor that's a nightmare almost. I think. Uh, so, do, do you think that dreams have any meanings? Uh, 
Um, well, sometimes because one of my friends, yeah, one of my friends uh, told me that um, before before her birthday, um, she 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 had she had a dream uh, about uh, me uh, about me uh, and during uh, and in in that dream, um, I will uh, I gave her uh, a pencil case. And very specific. Yeah, and uh, as as a birthday present, and actually, I I really gave her a pencil case, but huh. I didn't tell her. Huh. Wow, and so maybe yes. she's prophetic, right? That's the other aspect of the phenomena is people think that um, because when we dream in our subconscious, we are able to do things like astral project or you know move around and see things and so forth um, some people trained to, to enter a dreamlike state in order to do something like remote viewing um, which is sort of my area of, of expertise where you can sort of project your mind into a situation and, and to see something in that case and so she was able to predict and you got a pencil case I mean, it's not uncommon, uncommon of a gift between Chinese students. I mean, more so than for us, we don't really give pencil cases, but um, it's definitely something <laughs> that, that's common. You know, uh, it's something I saw that a lot of students, you know, that was kind of a big deal, uh, which I thought was kind of cute because it's something that we would have done like, you know, 50 years ago, maybe 60 years ago. So it's interesting. Uh, what about your most recent dream? What do you remember? My most recent dream. Mm -hmm. uh, or a dream that you remember. Uh, I, I can't. No, I think we might have lost the connection. Well, that happens. Sometimes things drop off when you're halfway around the world. So maybe she'll come back on here in just a moment. Yep, I can hear you. I, I figured the call just dropped. It's okay. Uh, yeah, just okay. let's just finish up here, and and if you can just give me some examples of um, the reason why they ask it this way is obviously they're looking for um, tense structure dealing with past tense, and so any way you want to express the idea is fine as long as it's uh, happened in the past. So you're going to talk. Oh, you're going to talk about a dream that you maybe had or remember, or you can make it up. It's fine. Um, basically, we just wanted to measure the ability to see if you can talk about this in past, in past tense or past form. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you can, maybe you have a recurring dream, something that you sort of dream often as well. Recurring. Yeah, recurring is sometimes people will have a dream that's uh, sort of repeats itself, or the the idea repeats itself. Um, you know, you were talking about the, the 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 dream where someone shot you, and so maybe another time you had another dream that someone was trying to shoot you, and so this this theme repeats; it keeps coming up. It's reoccurring. Some people might have a reoccurring dream about a a white dog. And so every time they dream, they, they see a white dog, for example, um, something like that.
So it's either a dream you remember or a reoccurring dream idea. Um, I I um, about mm -hmm. uh, I can't um, I I I I slept and the night when I woke up. I realized that uh, I, I was using the ancient location. Ancient times? Yeah. Wow. And also, yeah, and also my friend. Mm -hmm. We found lots of mangoes that can, that we think, that, that we thought we can come back to, to, to the Pre present. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, you, so you had a you had a time traveling dream. Oh, that's interesting. Oh. Do you think you think you do you think people can time travel? Uh, no. Mm. Uh, absolutely not. Uh -huh. uh, I mean, but, but you believe in aliens, but not time travel. Interesting. Okay. You believe in aliens, but not time travel, and they said, "Oh, that's interesting." Yeah, because I think we really can create a machine that can, uh, can um, complete a time travel, but, but uh, maybe, or maybe, or maybe because uh, everything, everything's possible. Ah, well, I, I would say that if you're willing to accept the presence of aliens in the universe, we would have to suspect that they have different or advanced intelligence because of the fact that it's space is so far apart. Even even traveling at light speed would take us, you know, like 11 years to get to, to the nearest uh, planet we think has life, which is, I think, Betelgeuse. I'm not sure if that's right. But, um, so for me, if you accept aliens, then probably time travel is not that much more far out. Because again, if, if aliens are real, as we perceive them, and they can travel through space, they obviously would have to have some ability to, to bend time. Otherwise, it would take them forever to go from you know one place to another. So I, I think it's probably possible somehow. The mathematics also includes some aspects of the theory that it also could be possible. But how it's done, that's, that's beyond my ability. So I'm just willing to accept as you said, everything is possible. And I think we should leave it at that. Just saying everything is possible. So, so good luck on your on your mock tomorrow. Uh, everything is possible. Thank you. Uh, any questions or comments uh, for me before we finish up? Um, no. Okay, that's easy enough. So um, we'll go from there and see what happens. Um, and leave it at that. Oh, I hear the sirens. They're coming to take me away. They're coming to take me away. Uh, I think that's that's Kim Fowley, right? We're um, under the name of like Napoleon the Thirteenth. I used to hear it on Doctor Demento uh, back in the day. Doctor Demento was, you know, amazing for uh, geeks <laughs> and nerds and oddballs and misfits. You know, 
everybody else is out trying to get alcohol and have fun on the river and whatever else and try to get laid, you know. My dumb ass was still playing with, you know, action figures and listening to Dr. Demento. So a little bit of arrested development in childhood, uh, especially going into puberty. I was a, a late bloomer. It's probably why I'm, I'm such a mess right now. I'm making up for la lost time in this case. I think it's interesting when I, when I talk to a lot of um, my students and then some of the other people that I have conversations with um, that are from mainland China and, and their relationship to their experience. I think for a lot of people, they, they get into kind of a bubble. And, and I would suggest this again from my own experience as being an, an, an expat living in Asia for 15 years is that you, you kind of end up making your own little private Idaho for yourself. And when that happens, uh, that bubble is beneficial for survival, so to speak, and self-preservation, but it can become sort of a trap. And that, that's usually what I sort of experience um, from a lot of people who live overseas for any length of time is they never fully sort of assimilate. It's not entirely possible, depending on the culture, the language, uh, the country, and so forth. I mean, there can be pretty good integration, but a complete assimilation um, for mainlanders is, is difficult, uh, more so than maybe other immigrants that, that stay on longer, like in our country. Uh, some people seem to do better with assimilation or adapting their host country or their host culture compared to other people. For myself, I never expected to have uh, complete uh, assimilation or integration, and mostly because of the, the concept there is that uh, Wigrin are outside people. And so, I mean, literally, if you were called outside people, it's pretty hard to, to get over that, even though if they, they decide to call you Lao Wai, which is sort of like, you know, uh, old outsider or old foreigner or friendly old foreigner in this case, that's kind of a compliment compared to some of the other things that they say to us. Integration, I think, when it comes to these different types of societies and culture, a lot of it has to do with your willingness to sort of have a symbiotic relationship with the host culture. In the sense that you know that it is something that you're sort of putting on like a, like a skin or a layer. For those of us that are neurodivergent and that oftentimes have to go through the process of masking, which is, you know, kind of putting on our game face in order to, you know, go out with our family or meeting or something like that. There's different ways to sort of explain the concept of masking, um, which for me is a slippery slope because when you mask, sometimes you can get in a situation and then if you're hyper fixating, or get in your sort of groove while you're masking, you might get stuck in that groove and you have to kind of keep up masking. And it's, it's, uh, it's challenging. It definitely takes its toll. Um, sometimes it might be on autopilot as you're sort of uh, maybe up and as you start to come down, it becomes a sort of a toil or um, the shell itself becomes hard to sort of work, work through or, the, or work with. And then you find yourself being, you know, sort of inauthentic about who you are and what you're doing. We all take up these different uh, sort of valiances um, 
in in the foils of human character uh, we're all full of foibles we all have our blind spots we all have these things that we do that 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 still challenge us and cause us frustration and everything else if that's not happening then i have to question your your role here in this existence you know are you a player or are you a host are you are you a, a, are you gaming or are you npc and so i think that if if you're going through life without sort of having to deal with these types of situations i have to wonder about what kind of life you are really leaving in the sense that Again, jokingly saying you're an NPC because you've never had any problems or issues and so forth. Uh, I, I know that, that that was in the back of my mind oftentimes in my personal relationship. <laughs> where for the life of me, I couldn't understand um, how someone could sort of go through the motions in an automatic way without having it sort of stain them or making them feel kind of icky or gross or whatever else but perhaps it's a question of timing i suppose um i think if you grow up fairly vanilla you have a, a good loving parents that are very supportive maybe you have siblings um maybe your school experience is, is pretty mellow maybe you're even homeschooled or you go to a charter school or something like that or, you know so you, you don't get a lot of worldly experience and so you grow up in a in a very sort of uh, little house on the prairie kind of way and so the world is, is wide open for you in this case I think coming into it with those kind of bright eyes is is kind of amazing to someone like me who comes from you know like the, the lily or the lotus out of the mud where I'm at the opposite end of the spectrum so my eyes definitely I've got a thousand yard stare because of trauma and abuse and all the other the horrible stuff that's happened in my lifetime that I've witnessed or participated in. And so we have a tendency to, to take on these different types of, of uh, valiances uh, sort of begrudgingly. And I think that's the challenge for, for neurodivergent people is that we're oftentimes expected to participate in these um, social rituals, which, which we feel is kind of a waste of time in the sense that, you know, why are we going through the motions on this? I don't want, don't fucking ask me about the weather. I don't give a shit. If I don't like the weather where I'm at, I, I usually move to a place where I enjoy the weather better. Uh, you know, if I live here in the Pacific Northwest, I know kind of what the weather is going to be. Yes, we have climate change. It's much more extreme and we get surprises on occasion um, now in my lifetime. But generally speaking, you know, these sort of benign conversations that, that people try to have with each other uh, just don't sit well with me. I, I, I don't know why, considering a, a, I'm a person that's sitting here, you know, kind of rambling for an hour or so and expect people to, to also hop on board with the idea. But I, I think the difference is that we're trying to get something that we need out of these discussions or these conversations in the sense that we are looking at phenomenon or looking at things that, that don't quite measure up and, and we have questions. That's the other aspect in communication, I think, for myself, being neurodivergent. I cannot tell you how many times I've said that in, in the heat of a conversation uh, with my ex-wife. 
in the sense that I, I'm asking. I said, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not dictating. I'm asking because I'm generally trying to understand. Yes, I hear the words that you are saying, the semantics of the words you are saying. Are we arguing about semantics? It sometimes has to do with the tone and the context and all these other th little pieces of the of the pachinko lever that we are are over analyzing with our neurodivergent mind, looking for patterns in the speech or so on. I'm at the point where I have to I have to really remain as authentic as possible and not get caught in some of these little uh, conversation traps of keeping up with the Joneses and talking about the weather and, you know, whatever the, the latest sports ball bread and circus nonsense is going on. Uh, you know, to be saturated with that shit in the media and then go and, and, and meet someone and have that kind of conversation with the same kind of garbage, it just doesn't do it for me. <laughs> it makes me... It just... It irritates me, to be honest with you, because there's just so much more uh, richness and vastness in the human experience that we could have for ourselves. And to to go through it, you know, kind of asleep, you know, it's it's kind of like the, the great classic black and white horror film, you know, the, 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 the doctor of, I'm sorry, the cabinet of Dr. Calgary, where the guy's a somnambulist, you know, he's a guy that puts people to sleep and and so you know strange things happen we know that that's what what advertisers do they use the language the same way we uh that practice the craft we know that language that words have meaning and that they have value and then the way we align them can have an impact and advertisers know this very well and if they don't know they hire somebody who does because that's what they want. And they want us to be asleep in order to sort of cons keep consuming, uh, talking about dreams and so forth. That's, that's kind of what it is. George Collins said it the best. Uh, you know, towards the end, he really, he really had a, a good handle on, on the things and was at a point in his life and his career and his age that he was able to just say exactly what it was when he talked about, you know, the people, the owners, as he called them in this country, the real owners who own the best land, the best resources, uh, they own all the politicians, they own all of the, all the judges and so forth. And the real owners, they're in a big club and they use it to beat you over the head and you ain't in it, right? We're not in it. And so that, that club has gotten bigger uh, in the sense of value, but has gotten smaller in the range of people. And we're at a point now where we're starting to see some effects of that aspect of it. His main point was that in order to enjoy the American dream, you have to be asleep. And I'd have to say that he's correct in that sense. That when I look around and, and even after the pandemic, and I think that's part of the reason why things are as uh, topsy-turvy as they are now is because people had a chance to have a timeout <laughs> and sit down and sort of reanalyze and reevaluate their situation. And other people were faced with tremendous economic hardships and, and challenges where they've lost everything. And so now some people are rebuilding. Some people have given up. Some people have, have, have flourished, you know, and, and my hat's off to those people that have done it. Uh, I've always had a little bit of, of survivor's guilt in the sense that, uh, grieving my previous life that's gone and, and this new one that's been created 
in some aspects has, has been extremely beneficial. It's obviously cost me my marriage, but um, that was a long time coming. And so it's just another one of those transition points. And that leads me to the idea here is that when I, when I say that all of this is going on, what seems to serve me the best is, is my instinct and intuition. And I'm, I'm at a, a strange kind of crossroads right now in, in my personal situation. I notice myself being sort of very angry the last few days over, over what's happening. And I didn't like that aspect because I, I don't really think, I don't think it's productive, one. Uh, two, I think it's part of the grieving process. You're going to get mad. Um, three, it concerns me as I don't want to offshore too much blame. Because I can't, I can't control the other person in this equation. I mean, I could physically because of my strength, but I choose not to. Um, and so, if my my point is to choose a path of civility and peace and friendship, then I have to sort of put my anger or my ego in check and and realize that whatever I perceive that's happening in my mind. Uh, I'll never get to, to the ultimate uh, truth or, or conclusion in it. And so I should just just let it go. It doesn't matter. Uh, easier said than done, of course, because there's those, those elements of um, wanting, to, wanting to sort of be justified in your feelings for such a long time. And if your, your instinct says, this is the case, this is the case, but the person keeps saying, no, it's not, no, it's not. And and you know them to be somewhat of a gaslighter. But I think everybody does it to a certain extent. I mean, I should say everybody, but I think, I think it happens a lot on both sides without, without even sort of realizing it. When couples get to the point where they're maybe having financial uh, issues and financial infidelity comes into play where, you know, they're... Maybe they have a, a joint a joint set of accounts, or they have individual accounts, or whatever else. But uh, maybe they're working towards something, and somebody else, uh, you know, gets deep into debt without telling the other partner. Um, that was pretty hard for me in the sense that I felt like um, decisions were being made that affected me that that I didn't get to participate in. And so much of our life is that way. We are. We are subject, unfortunately, to a certain amount of, of social uh, constructs, legal constructs as citizens, that oftentimes things happen that are, that are just beyond our ability to um, participate in. There's a lot of decisions that, that are made that affect us that we don't have sort of any say in. And that's kind of frustrating, obviously, especially if it's a big issue. And so, you know, this sometimes gets magnified within our relationships. We bring that down to a point where we can sort of uh, wrestle with it and deal with it and, and have arguments about it and so forth. And so we have to be, be cautious of that as well. So when we go from financial infidelity to virtual uh, infidelity, and so this is, this is the, the big stick right at this point, is... Um, being in a relationship in real life, and then when the person's not around, you are um, online and talking to other people 
maybe exchanging photos, maybe even uh, messages or phone calls. Yeah, it's it's virtual infidelity. Um, it's funny that when we put the the callocations together for some ideas, then they, I sort of have a, a more of an aha moment, just like the idea of financial infidelity, like aha. And so that's a great way to, to sort of uh, classify the experience. And it's the same thing about saying about virtual infidelity. It's like, well, okay, now I understand more so why it would be so detrimental in a relationship if you weren't upfront or honest about your situation. And so if you're going to be authentic in your relationship, then you'd have to say, well, this is, you know, kind of something that I do and I enjoy. And this is normally what it leads to. You know, is that something that you can handle or is it something that we need to to um, discuss or to try to compromise on? Is this a deal breaker in, in our situation? In my case, I guess it is in both in both both, <laughs> both instances. Um, and so it's it's something that I have to make sure to manage before I, I think about um, going into another uh, LTR. And I would say right now, jumping into any kind of uh, LTR would be a bad, bad mistake on my part. Uh, uh, the process here is to make sure that, that things are sort of closed out <laughs> as much as possible before doing anything else and, and leaving it sort of that way. Um, I have a tendency to rush into things um, and to take action as a response to sort of uh, the, the procrastination and the, uh, what do you call it, the, uh, the time blindness, but not so much time blindness, but, but you know, the piling and so forth that happens with, with ADHD. And then you have to sort of, you know, do it all at once, and then it, sometimes it turns into something else. So the, the, those struggles are real, as always, and I just have to kind of keep them lined up in my mind um, when I'm making some sort of decision or approach. And again, I like the final statement there uh, when she said, you know, anything is possible. That's hopeful. Uh, yeah, you can take it in a negative sense and say, well, it also means all the bad things are possible. But, you know, that's the old adage of the, of the, the, the two rules that we have within ourselves. You know, which one are we going to feed? Um, and so right now I'm, I'm, I'm feeding both of them. <laughs> Because part of it is I feel like I have to, I have to sort of get a bit medieval about uh, myself and my life uh, because I feel sort of raw and vulnerable. Uh, and so my response is to kind of get uh, very protective and bring out the claws and the fangs and so on and, and make sure that no one gets at this soft gooey center for a little bit because it's, uh, you know, it's still, still stings a bit. And it probably will for some time. So uh, simultaneously, of course, I want things to be uh, positive and on the up and up. So um, let's let's keep that idea that if all things are possible, let's think of all the positive things that are possible. And that's important to us, I think. So thanks for your time. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we will be doing a few more of these uh, as we move forward. And uh, we've got some some pretty fun stuff coming up. Um, the more I listen to it, the, the funnier it gets to me. But hopefully, hopefully I don't leak too much of the joke uh, before it happens. So take care and remember, everything is possible.